Okay, uh, mm -hmm. this uh, is the book I'm focusing on tonight. It's called Six Dialogic Poetry Chapbooks. A chapbook is a short collection, a booklet, and I put six of them together, and they're all uh, um, remarkable for using uh, something like an interview format. You notice the two taxi cabs facing each other. They, it looks like a confrontation, but if you turn to the back cover, you see that they are now on peaceful terms and they're, they're, leave, they're leaving in their respective directions and going home. It's really nice. Uh, that has to do with the first part of my book, which is called uh, Taxi Drivers. And there I interview 40 of them. Uh, that's uh, the first. Uh, then it's, here's another example. Magritte Paintings comes next. 48 times I looked at pictures by Magritte, the, the great Belgian surrealist. Uh, have you seen his pictures of a man with a big uh, green apple in front of his face? You may have seen that. Yeah. Uh, well, um, he uh, wrote poems that uh, uh, urgently invite interpretation. So I did. I interpreted those 48 times. So there's an interview with the painter. Then Gallic ballads means French ballads in the tradition of François Villon, a very great medieval um, uh, poet and famous criminal. And I have uh, uh, adopted his techniques and carry on an interview with him. Then uh, there's also one called Kafka Reactions. I take short, short micro stories by Kafka and write poems about them. And then comes Inferno Update, which has the uh, uh, subtitle of uh, a sonnet tour of Dante's hell with other treats. And what, when I, there, what I do is uh, uh, for every uh, uh, canto or verse chapter of Dante's Inferno, I write a sonnet uh, commenting on it. And uh, uh, that that's just one more interview. Now, the interview we're going to focus on tonight is called Russian Loves. Uh, it's number four out of the six. Uh, the, all six of them are fascinating things. But just for tonight, I'm going to focus on the uh, my Russian loves. And uh, so I will begin now by giving you a sample Russian poem, which I'll read, then I'll translate it, and then I will answer it. That's what we interviewers do. This <laughs> is by Pushkin, and it's called Tucha. Последняя туча рассеянной бури, Одна ты несешься по ясной лазуре, Одна ты наводишь унылую тень, Одна ты печалишь ликующий день. Ты небо недавно кругом облегала, И молния грозно тебя обвивала. И ты издавала таинственный гром, И алчную землю поила дождем. Довольно? Закройся! Пора миновалась, земля освежилась, И буря промчалась, и ветер, лаская листочки древес, Let's go on now to the oh. translation. The storm swept away, you're the only cloud gliding. Alone in the blueness, the brightness abiding. Alone you bring on a disconsolate shade. Alone you can frighten what lightness had made. 
The sky only moments ago you had covered, and threatening lightnings about you yet hovered, and thunderous mystery sounding again, the famishing furrows you nourished with rain. Enough. Go away. It is time that you vanished. The earth is refreshed, and the storm clouds are banished. The breezes caressing the leaves of the trees will send you away from the heavenly peace. Okay, that's not a terribly cheerful poem. Uh, the idea seems to be you really did a lot of good for this whole area a minute ago with all the, uh, all, all the other clouds. You rained down plenty. You put all of yourself into it or most of yourself. There's still too much of you up there in the sky because now the sun has taken over. Circumstances have changed. We're living in a different world. And some of you guys from the older generation are going to have to step aside. So that's not a terribly cheerful uh, moral to be teaching. But isn't the, isn't the rhythm of it nice? And what we have is, let, uh, let me explain it. La, 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 la. The rhythm unit is la, la, la. And that means weak, strong weak. And one and, and two and, and three and, and four and. And one and, and two and, and three and, and four and. Uh, the the uh, metric... Um, a unit, the rhythm unit, is uh, la la la, and it's called um, an amphibrach. And if you have four of them in a line, what you have is a line of amphibrachic tetrameters. And then you go on, and in the third and fourth line of the stanza, la la la, la la la, la la la, la la, and one and two and three and four, and one and two and three and four. It should be and four and, so you see those have a missing syllable at the end of each line. And in Greek, a missing syllable is called catalexis. So the first two lines are regular amphibrachic tetrameters, but the second two are amphibrachic tetrameter catalectic. And many poets today don't uh, think much about these matters. But I'm going to try to change the world. You know, we all have to do our best to do that. So let's uh, begin with now a reply, because an interviewer not only translates, but replies. The stream disemboguing, the snow disappearing, a cloudlet effusing, a maelstrom a-clearing, they'll soon have evanished, evaporable, the heavens be empty that lately were full. The droplet wherefrom we have sprung will be drying. What need have we now, the horizon descrying, to see whether sun or a hurricane rise? The fire, like the water, will darken our eyes. What came goes away, what was whole will be riven. The growing encroacher be chidden, be driven, be carried away as he harried the prey, be married to death at the end of the day. Reply number two, how's that? I don't have to stop, you know. No movers and shakers, be maker and shaper. Things seen on a screen or perused in the paper are often quite petty, confetti, or worse, be mindful and find what is worthy in verse. A day when to lyric you've not been excited is draining, vampiric, banosic, and blighted. Let fire Dionysal be poured through your veins, the light of Apollo spread over the plains. The surge of the surf and the boom of the breakers declare that the day is prepared for the makers. Stand up to the summons, let bursting to birth, new epic, new legend, replenish the earth. 
be falcon and hawk with the aptness of raptors in vertical verse that your lines be the captors to catch a surrendering soul in a spell of upwardly coupling no quiet may quell you know where i got that uh-uh. poets uh, are uh, not only not discouraged but positively encouraged to be- borrow or steal beg borrow or steal from here and there that is uh, an image that i took from a walt whitman poem where he describes two eagles uh having their passionate congress in the air mm-hmm. let's have number three the gin disregarding that's the genies the evil spirits the hardier nourish what's fertile and victory gain with a flourish by worries of germ undeterred undismayed were dodging the drops of the rain unafraid the bug had succeeded in making me sleepy but only the timid are wimpy and weepy triumphant and riant and smiling the will by yielding makes victory cheerier still Kutuzov, Napoleon's army defeated, through battles unfought. He had merely retreated. The Frenchmen, drawn deeper, left starving amid the dead to consider the harm that they did. Retreat, then resile, leaping back when you've rested. You see what the French you've effected. You see that the French you've effectively bested within you and him to the spirit can raise. Whenever I'm tested, your power I praise. You see what I'm doing there? That too is, has a source from which I took my idea. The source is Tolstoy's book called War and Peace. General Kutuzov is the commander-in-chief for the Russians. And he is a semi-comical figure because he always looks to be half asleep when he sits on his horse. And he's a bit corpulent too. He's not exactly either fit or alert looking. But he is smart. And what is his tactic? He uses the same tactic to fight the French as I use when I'm fighting a, a, a throat bug withdrawal, retreat, don't fight it. So the Russians kept retreating and they retreated and they retreated some more and they retreated some more after that. And the famous general uh, was smart enough to avoid battles entirely. So he drew out the supply line, right, of the French uh, through the wintry snows. It got thinner and thinner. The food got more and more scarce and the French were defeated by this marvelous tactic of not fighting. So I'm giving Kutuzov a lot of credit. And Tolstoy, I think, loved the guy. Uh, I actually had a friend at Harvard University when I was taking my master's in Russian. And he uh, took a course in Tolstoy. I didn't take that course. Uh, And he actually went through the six versions of War and Peace, which poor Tolstoy's wife had copied all of them out by hand. And in each of the versions of War and Peace, Napoleon begins to look more and more ridiculous. And uh, so that Kutuzov is by contrast promoted into more of a hero mm-hmm. and indeed the french uh, they get outshouted uh more by the quieter quieter but triumphant and and victorious russian chorale in the middle of the 1812 overture do you want another reply sometimes i can't stop and this particular jig-like motion it grabs me By the way, let me confess something right now. Full truth disclosure. I'm an Irish fiddler. I'm not Irish, but I love the fiddle. There's something in me. I must have been Irish in another lifetime because I have my head full of Irish fiddle tunes. And the part of my head that's not full of Irish fiddle tunes is full of Scottish fiddle tunes. And I have made a CD of those. Although I'm only an Irishman by choice. Now, the number four uh, is based on a line, a very famous line of poetry. 
but it's a German line, so I'll translate it. Das ewig weibliche zieht uns hinan. That means usually translated, the eternal feminine draws us upward. That you may know or you may not, doesn't make any difference, is the last line of a poem called Faust by Goethe, Germany's greatest poet. He took 60 years to write the poem, and even then he didn't want to see what reviewers had to say about it. So he wrapped it up and gave it to his secretary. But uh, it's an amazing poem, and that's the last line. The eternal feminine draws us upward. Uh, but I, I don't think that sounds very good as an English verse. So I translate it. Feminine unending is hailing us higher. To hail, H-A-L-E, means to pull, to draw, to attract. Feminine ending is hailing us higher. La, 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 la. That gallops better in our jig rhythm. And uh, it also combines two words, feminine and unending, into a feminine ending. Sing I, that's a te technique I learned from an Irishman, James Joyce. So here we go. Feminine ending is hailing us higher. Poet proclaimed to a heavenly lyre. Head ready crownward to see where we go. Yet we think downward to feel where we grow. Eager the fever and ardent the fire. Avid ad astral and lambent desire. So tear the roll that the lower would show. Sly in arising, in climbing not slow. Musal perusal of tunes may inspire, flame to requite in a name we require. Height teaching right of an organ more low, might reaching tone solar plectral to glow. Pleiades gowned in a flower attire, speak of the hues that imbue us when nigher, being the real where the dreamer will know, feminine unendingly beckoning flow. Mm -hmm. This is not the kind of poem that's understood in, in every little detail the first time through. Uh, I will say, do you, well, do you mind if I interpolate a commercial? If you want to study it in detail, you can buy it readily in paperback from Amazon. And now comes the last of the, my replies. Only five replies to this one. Uh, I'm, don't worry, most poems only get from me a single reply, but I just want to show you what can happen if you really get caught up in the interview spirit. And if you're part Irish too. This is called My Life as a Shaman. Do you know what a shaman is? Yeah. Yeah, medicine man type of thing in, in tribal ceremonies. The drum is the horse. On its height you're alighting, and sudden the course of the ride you are writing, recorded will be on the chart that was drawn by bloodbeat the toll of the coming of dawn. The pounding of feet in the heat of the thunder, resounding announced in the steed thud of wonder, the rhythm that lends to the living a law will govern the world that traversing you draw. The horse of the night and the steed of the morning are stirred to be freed from the need of a warning when he that is guiding untiring abides by force that is forming the lore of the tides. The soul that the strophe is hearing and feeling will sing to the folk a mellifluent healing that never can fail while the waiting shall pray refrain of the shaman might bear them away. I enjoy a uh, uh, um, uh, identifying with these Siberian shamans. And the reason is that uh, th uh, they beat on their drum 
to that's the beat of the of the of the music of the poetry that they're making up and what they're doing is they most of the I, as i understand it the the listeners have pretty much taken some kind of hallucinogenic uh, assisting uh, uh, materials so that they can get into the spirit of it and what he does is he makes up the poem as he goes along telling of his victory uh, over the various spirits in the spirit world while he rides his horse and the and the drum is thought to be the horse you can hear the hoofbeats can you not of the of the horse on the drum and so basically he's a poet who creates uh his world of spirits and also portrays his victory over them that's real therapy i, I might even be prepared to pay for that <laughs> now the next poem by pushkin i would like to to feature and the reason i'm picking pushkin is many other people have felt the same way about him namely that he's the greatest uh this poem is called prisoner I'll read it to you in Russian. They're kind of short. So even if you don't know a whole lot of Russian, you won't get bored. Main thing is you want to hear the music that I heard that stimulated the interview process. Сижу за решеткой в темнице сырой. Вскормленный в неволе орел молодой, Мой грустный товарищ, махая крылом, Кровавую пищу клюет под окном, клюет и бросает, и смотрит в окно, как будто со мною задумал одно, зовет меня взглядом и криком своим, и вымолвить хочет, давай улетим, мы вольные птицы, пора, брат, пора, туда, где за тучей белеет гора, туда, где синеют морские края, туда, где гуляем лишь ветер, да я. In other words, let's see. La 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 la. That's actually the same thing as before. It's amphibrax only. These are all. A catalectic. You notice that I'm very prejudiced in favor of triple meters. One reason I love them so much, well, one reason is my uh, background is a more or less Irish musician. But on top of that, there's the, the fact that um, English, Anglo, Anglo writers don't use it much. Anglo writers stay away from these. And why should that be? I think it's ignorance. Mm. So let's hear the translation of that, okay? It's called, once again, Prisoner. I sit behind bars in a jail, rough and bare. An eagle, still young and raised captive, is there. Sad comrade, his wings wildly flapping, his mood despondent. He pecks at his blood-covered food. He pecks at it, throws it away. Death denied, as if he had thought it was time we defied our fate, for he calls me in gaze and in cry, and wants to say, out of here, come, let us fly. Feel bird freedom, comrade, come, brother, let's go, where cloud-covered mountains are radiant with snow, where floods are a surge on the shore, let us roam, wherever the winds and we Birds have our home. Reply. Oh, yes. How about the reply? I'm an interviewer, right? Yeah. What have I got to say about this poem? 
The trees make you tall, and the birds make you brave. The winds make you wild. Whirling flames make you rave. Wide farms make you spread out your arms to embrace, while soft rolling, grassy-maned hills make you race. White sands make you willing to walk, though you fall. Sear leaves of the autumn to children will call, who toss them and heap them and leap on the pile, all roused by their laughter, carousing in style. Cold pebbles in water, the textures appeal. The soles of your feet are your main way to feel. Sharp breezes will stiffen the hair on your skin, will set your heart pounding, speed blood up within. The elements world you, they set you astir, they burr and they chur and they purr and they whirr. He was put under house arrest for, for uh, uh, what should we say, progressive sentiments. Uh, but in addition to that, he was under a different kind of house arrest for a long time. Uh, the czar seeing that Pushkin was a lively, lively and extremely talented young man, thought he would do Pushkin a big favor, but himself an even bigger one. He made himself into Pushkin's official censor. Instead of submitting po Pushkin's poems to the board of censors of the imperial government, they would send it, the poems to the emperor himself. And now the, his, his, uh, uh, the emperor announced this to Pushkin's father. So Pushkin's father and the emperor were, co were collaborators in the censorship bureau that Pushkin had to suffer under. That went on for years. Hmm. Uh, it's no wonder that Pushkin wrote a, uh, wrote a, uh, a poem called, um, uh, what's it called? The Bronze Horseman, in which a statue of, of Peter the Great in Petersburg uh, in, a, in, the, in the nightmare vision of the hero, rides the horse through the city. He, he becomes the, embody, the personification of the flood and of every kind of other wicked and cruel tyranny. And uh, it's, a, it's kind of a horror story, uh, but featuring uh, the tyrannical czar. I, I doubt that uh, the czar liked that very well, but then you're, you're, you're walking on, on glass when you, when you write in Imperial Russia. So you have to take some kind of risks or you're just dead. Uh, I did find my next poem, so, and it is called Voren. That means the raven. We have an American poet who also specialized in ravens, do we not? Here we go. Voren kvorenu litit. Voren vorenu kritit. Voren, gdib nam atabiedach. Kak nam atom pravedach. Voron, Voronu, Vatviat. Znaju, Budit nam abiet, V chistom poje, Padrakitai, Bugati, Lejut, Ubiti. Kim Ubit, I at Chivo, Znaet Sokol, Lish, Yevo. Da kabuka varanaya, da hazyaika maladaya. Sokol vroschu ulichel, na kabuku nedruh sel, a hazyaika ждет milova neubitava.
живого. It's folktale style. Lots of repeating. See if you like this. I think it's, he totally mastered the idea of folktale style. Raven flies toward Raven brother. Raven shouts to ask the other. Raven, have you found some food? I am in a hungry mood. Raven answers eagerly. Underneath a willow tree, in a field, a knight I saw, ready killed for raven's maw. <laughs> Who it was that laid him low? Sure, his falcon? Well must know. Falcon, steed, and waiting wife. They can tell who took his life. Falcon's gone in deepest green. On the steed, a foe was seen. And the wife awaits her dear. Not the dead one <laughs> to appear. The line, if you, if you really want to know the punchline here. A chazjajka zjot milova neubitava. Zhovova, and the wife is waiting for her dear, not killed, alive. <laughs> As a fiddler, I once gave a concert, a uh, recit uh, recital, if you like, uh, in a folk, uh, uh, folk song club of uh, battle or uh, ballads, famous ballads, um, which I accompanied on the fiddle instead of the guitar, because I don't know how to play the guitar. But I noticed that in putting a program together, it was blood and gore, and more blood and gore. Mm -hmm. It was very hard to find something uh, without, uh, shall we say, massive murders at the end. I did find some. I favored those. I like the Fair Flower of Northumberland, which has a happy ending, and nobody dies. Okay, here comes the reply. Now, with replies, I had to change the, sub the topic slightly. Not too much. I, uh, I don't know much about ravens. I can't even tell you what's the difference between a raven and a crow. Maybe you could tell me if we cared about it. But instead of that, let's read about clouds, because I wrote about clouds. And anybody who lives in Binghamton, New York, or upstate generally, is going to know a fair amount about clouds. <clears throat> Cloud cried out to Comrade Cloud, brood not, brother, stay unbowed. Cyclone, hurricane, typhoon. Let us love a tempest tune. We will rage, and so will they, who have set the winds in play. Men have heated up the seas. Force will heave the storm with ease. Waiting for the final day, all who raven on the prey sing a hymn of dark delight to the coming of the night. Men have aided all they might. Let them die. They fly the light. I wrote that years ago, believe it or not, before all this climate crisis arose or was known widely to have, to have arisen. Okay. Okay. So I can write something just as sinister as what Pushkin did. Yeah. Now, what comes next? Oh, believe it or not, I'm switching poets. 
still Russian. It'll be Russian today. Uh, but this time it's going to be uh, what a lot of people think to be Russia's second greatest poet. And that is Lermontov. And he wrote a poem called The Angel. Panyebu Palunachi Angel Gitel. И тихую песню он пел, и месяц, и звезды, и тучи толпой внимали той песни святой. Он пел о блаженстве безгрешных духов, под кущами райских садов. О Боге великом он пел, и хвала его непритворна была. Он душу молодую в объятиях нес. Для мира печали и слез, И звук его песни в душа молодой Остался без слов, но живой. И долго на свете томилась она Желанием чудным полна. И звуков небес заменить не могли ей скучные песни земли. I think that's one of the loveliest poems ever written in Russian. I, in fact, memorized it right away, and I could have said it probably by heart, but since I'm, this is being visually recorded, I thought I wouldn't take any risks. At midnight in heaven, an angel flew by while limbing a hymn to the sky. The moon to the melody listened in crowds. The stars were attentive, the clouds. He praised what is perfect, the bliss to be known in paradise gardens alone. Of God the Almighty, the chant unconstrained in faithfulness, pure and unfeigned. Embracing, he cradled a soul free of fears who'd live in a valley of tears. The tune without words he had tenderly sung remained in that spirit so young. Though long in the world, she would languish and cry, still filled with desire for the sky. The heavenly hymn had to yield to the birth of tedious plaint of the earth. Oh, there we have a picture of human life, according to one gloomy person. Uh, uh, Lermontov is not a happy man. And you'll very often find that to be evidenced, manifested most clearly in his verse. This, in this poem, I also stole something. Remember, I've been stealing from various people, Whitman and Tolstoy. This time I picked the theme from Andrei Bieli. Bieli is a Russian poet who had the idea that babies are still more connected to heaven because the soft spot on the top of their head. Oh. And so I, I picked that idea and I, I wrote, up, wrote it up in a very Russian style poem, but based on a Russian idea. The top of the head of the baby will yet not wholly be hardened and set. The heavenly harmony hardly may be departed and never will flee, nor ever abandon the infant. He'll smile contemplatively for a while. The grandeur unfathomed yet heard from the host forever will matter the most. 
when after the growing, the solider bone may block the sidereal tone, not needing to hear the vast choiring on high, alive, he's beginning to die. Yet one there may be of a hardier heart to echo the heavenly art. Those last two lines, I have to say, were put in because of my personality. I don't like pessimism with no exit. It's a little gleaming hope, a gleam of hope. Now, I, I wrote a second reply to that. I, I think I'll try to read that to you. It's called Homo Dubitans. I'm not sure why I used fancy Latin. It just means a man in doubt. When the rafters arise and make dafter the skies, and while higher the laughter mood flies, may we luton a tune that enwrapped plenilune with an answering craft bears a boon? Can an animal strange with abandonment change what its nature deems natural range? May a sadhu in age, avid passion assuage, and made naked be magen and sage? We may doff or may dawn what by morning ray drawn made us trade in the yawn for the yawn. Twixt the more and the less, the distinction we'd bless if we littler could tell from largesse. Tis a big masquerade we've in thinking displayed and on stage of our days have portrayed. Yet nostalgia's a pain like neuralgia, with strain being placed on the gains we attain. See, I brought in the Lermontov theory, didn't I? The nostalgia. Yeah. According, to, according to Lermontov, uh, the, the soul that is carried in the arms of the angel uh, spends its life in, in, a, in a state of more or less frustrated nostalgia. It is often forgotten that nostalgia is related to the word neuralgia because the Greek word for pain is alga. Uh, neuralgia, neuralgia is pain of the nerves and uh, nostalgia is pain of return. Well, let's try another by Lermontov. We had a, a poem on clouds by Pushkin, right? It was a cloud. Remember, it stayed around too long, wasn't welcome anymore in mm -hmm. the sunny day. Well, here is a poem by Lermontov on the subject of clouds. Uh, it's also quite a short poem, just like Pushkin's. It, it's, in a, it's in a different meter. It's in one and a two and a three and a four and. One and a la la la. Strong weak weak. That's um, that's called a dactyl. And if you have four of them, you have dactylic uh, tetrameter. One to two and a three and a four and a. Okay. Tuchi. Tuchki nebesnye vichnye stranike. Sipju lazurnyu. Sipju jamchujnyu. Мчитесь Ир друзья, клевета ядовитая. Нет, вам наскучили нивы бесплодные. Чужды вам страсти и чужды страдания. 
Вечно холодные, вечно свободные, Нет у вас родины, нет вам изгнания. Окей. Okay. All right, what does it mean? Heavenly cloudlets, eternally wandering, Azure pain passing, in pearly chain flurrying, Floating like me, language banishment pondering, Leaving the north to the southern realm hurrying, What could be driving you? Burdensome fatefulness? You're not the target of jealous autocracy, Guilt of your own? Or glad enemies' hatefulness, venom of slander, or friendly hypocrisy? Rather, you're bored with the wheat field's sterility. Nothing you know of our passions importunate. Cold in bold freedom, you conquer fragility, having no home. And no homelessness. Fortunate. He's talking to, uh, to some clouds. Now, what he's saying to the clouds is, you haven't had to go through what I have to go through with an autocracy, right? That word sort of gives it away, doesn't it? Political mm -hmm. pressures and other kinds of social disappointments. Instead, he says, you're free. You go, you go wherever you want. It's true you have no home, but this is my favorite part. You have no homelessness either. Yes, you don't know what homelessness is. You don't know what home is. You're a whole lot better not knowing what either of these things has to say. I, I think that's quite an interesting imaginative leap. I like that a lot. Uh, now we're going to do uh, the reply. Why the delight, nearly fright, of the flying? Here in the filiad, sweeter than striving, fleeter the floating, no cry or denying, merely a moment, a height, an arriving. Fly than unburdened by stature and status, courting authority nowhere and never. Cooler cerulean, oral afflatus, moved by an inward ineffable lever. Levity entered, an airy escaping, shedding dead weight in a blessed iridescence, empty, unending, renewing, reshaping, jewel bright blue in a trembling juvescence, ready the rainbow to welcome the dew, warming auroral thrust upward to you. I got myself into a happy mood over those clouds. Here's the third one. Third one, I, I altered the, uh, the the meter a little bit instead of la 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 the uh, dactyls. Here it's never tethered, all weathering, better to dare. La 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 la. That is called an anapest. And a one, and a two, and a three, and a four. Okay. The interesting thing about the anapest, the dactyl, and the amphibrach is that once you get going in the line, you don't know what you do. <laughs> It could be any kind of triplet gallop, right? Uh, they don't make, there's not a big difference. But all the beginnings and endings are uh, affected by the meter you've chosen. And, and it does have, they do have subtle effects on the hearer. This one is called mindfulness. 
Never tethered, all weathering, better to dare, temerarious, airy, aware, that wherever we go, there will follow the foe, stagnant laggard, to dam up the flow. For with limiting, shrinking timidity still, and with waning and wasting of will, and a lead-heavy lethargy whining for ways to deprive us of drive in our days, there's no quicker elixir to fill with resolve to envelop, invent, and evolve than transcending the fixed with a whisk-away, brisk, flinging will into dizzying risk. For the tears in all things are the fears that maul wings and the squall that will stall one who sings. Let me never forget that the wrench of regret will mean death by a seal that is set. If the judges on high will not budge, pass them by, and declining a while from the sky, spur like chariot horses the forces below, you'll move faster and masterly grow. Hampered hankerings hurtful, ungainly with guilt, move it forward, made fertile, a silt, sifted on to a delta when melted by rain, to engender broad health on the plain. Then resemble a veil, which at night will inhale, breathing outward at dawn without fail. From the earth we relearn to respire, and we burn to incite a new birth in our turn. Oh, this is an interesting one. This will be the last Lermontov. Uh, it's called Parus, a sail. Sail of a ship. Bileet Parus adinoke, vtumanya moria galubom. Sto ishit on strane dalioke, kto kinul on v kraju radnom. I grajut volne, vetir svishit, i machta gnyotsa, i skripit, skripit. Увы, он счастья не ищет, и не от счастья бежит. Под ним струя светлей в азуре, над ним луч солнца золотой, а он нетяжный просит бури, как будто в бурях есть покой. Let's see what the sale is all about. Lonely and white, the sail expands within the ocean haze to roam. What might it seek in distant lands? What did it leave behind at home? A whistling wind, the waves at play, Hear the bent sailmast groan and sigh. It hopes not for a joyful ray, and not from joyful light would fly. Below the stream of azure bright, above the ray of solar gold, it, rebel, loves the stormy night. As if a storm kind peace might hold. Isn't it strange, isn't it? Sort of like a, a, a kid who ought to be satisfied and generally has a happy life, but there's some kind of a rebel streak in him. Now, in my reply, I did something interesting. I, I replied 
because uh, I'm not that kind of a teenager. In fact, I'm not really a teenager at all. And I have pretty much forgotten if, if I was ever like that. Instead, I, I t reply more in, in terms of my own personality. And I do so uh, by using a photo by another old, el more elderly gentleman, and that is Jeff Gould. Do you know him? his photography? He does nature photography. He uh, did a, a photograph called Bermuda Green, and I use that as the theme for my reply to this poem about the sail. Lermont have had a gloomy soul that nursed a harsh narcissal wound. In darkly swelling wind he swooned that swallowing might make him whole. Contrast Bermuda Green by Gould, a sail resilient, still, unbent, while clouds their movement will have lent in clear serenity that ruled. We feel for hours and cannot fade, nor ever grant a storm will pour, devouring, lowering rainfall or self-castigating winds unlaid to whip the sinner. We adore. Simplicity's worth living for. Uh, this is going to be the poet Fiat. He's not well known in America. Mm -hmm. Practically nobody has ever heard of him, unless you may be a Russian-American. Mm -hmm. Fiat is not a, a traditional Russian name any more than Lermontov is. Uh, it is actually a ver uh, the, it was originally the German name Feut, F-O-E-T-H. Fiat is, let's hear him. This is a poem, one of my very favorite poems by anybody, called Bees, or in Russian, Pchol. Пропаду от тоски я и лень, Одинокая жизнь немила, Сердце ноет, слабеют колени, В каждый гвоздик душистой сиренье, Распевая, Вползает пчела. Тайхать выйду я в чистое поле Или совсем потеряюсь в лесу. С каждым шагом не легче на, боль, на воле. Сердце пышет все более и более. Точно уголь в груди я несу. Нет постою же. С такою моею здесь расстанусь. Чьемуха спит? Ах, опять эти пчелы под нею. Я никак не понять не умею. На цветах ли, в ушах ли звенит? This is a somewhat tortured poem, uh, it actually seems to me to have a bit of a comic comedy quality to it, uh, once you've learned what's, what he's talking about. He's talking about bees, but he makes more out of them than I would. I feel indolent, dull, discontented, hating living alone, and my knees getting weaker, my heart pain augmented, while the lilac buds, airy, fine-scented, are pervaded with buzzing of bees. I might wander a bit in the clearing, or a walk in the wood may be best, but my stamina fast disappearing, and, and my heart, what a heat, such a searing, not a cold, but a coal in my chest. 
more complaining. Again, I'm succumbing. Now that cherry tree simply appears to dream calmly. But bees and more humming. How to tell if the droning is coming from the lilac buds or from my ears? <laughs> Physical symptoms become important. I once uh, made a, a joke. I don't know if it's very funny, but I said, when you talk to old people, you know what you get? An organ recital. Here's my reply, okay? They are emblems of honey turned bitter. The implacable gathering bees, when the gleams of a memory glitter and the thoughts of unfaithfulness flitter, we evade them in vain, seeking ease. For the buzz and the drone are translations, shaping tone of the heat of the coal, from within and without, intimations of a fatal malaise, indications that the spirit will never be whole. For the lilac aromas are lonely, lightly born from the buds where the buzz means attack. They're a lack. They can only feel the harm where harmony was. That was a great gift the English language gave me there with the, the harm right in the middle of harmony. Yeah, you can't get uh, such analogy to bees from nothing at all. It's his whole emotional life that is uh, being recited here. Yeah. Now let's read some. I, what I like about Fiat is it, that he isn't just one person. He really can do a whole series of monologues of all different sorts of personalities. And here's one uh, with a very different personality to it which I find equally fascinating, but has nothing to do with the bees poem. Sorry. Но зато люблю я днем, как замолкнет все кругом, различать раздумья пом, тихий плеск житейских вон. Не меня гнечет волна, мысль свежа, душа вольна, каждый миг сказать. And it's a mysterious poem. Maybe you can help me with it. In the quiet of the night, it is hard to bear the blight of a spirit known to me. Silent, eyeless phantom, he, like an elemental wave, owns the freedom I would have. But I love throughout the day, after noises pass away, listening in thoughtful dreams, life made soft in lapping streams. Waited down no more to be, thoughts are fresh, the soul is free, any moment out might come, me, it's me. But I keep mum, 
it reminds me, the only thing I can relate it to is a German poem by the poet Hölderlin. It looks like Hölderlin when you see it on a page. Hölderlin, uh, who, who's also a, a marvelous romantic. He wrote beautiful things when he was young and thought he was, that the Greek gods were in fact presences that could converse with him. But eventually his mind broke down and he spent the last four decades of his life in what oh. you might call a facility for mental health treatment. But he, in those later times when he was called mad, he did have intervals where he wrote beautiful poems in short lines with simple language. And I remember one of them that featured a marionette in the cold air of winter. That came to mind. Apparently, there's a part of, of uh, Fiat that, that either feels or empathizes with people who feel basically afraid to be alive. Anyway, let's, do, let's try another one. This one, I think he may, might have written in a, as a compensation for the previous one, because this is a very strange one, but uh, it, it, psychologically it makes, it makes sense. It's very short. И нетленного солью горячих речей Я осыплю невинную роскошь кудрей. Эту детскую грудь рассеку я потом Вдохновенного слова звенящим мечом И раскроет потомку минувшего в мгла что на свете всех чище ты сердцем была. This is a dream poem, and it is spoken not by the poet himself, but apparently some kind of a dream visitor. Here's what he says. Grizzle-bearded high priest, I'm your master and mage. With a wreath I will crown you, your fame to presage. With unperishing salt of unquenchable verse, your luxuriant curls I will gently asperse. Granting strength to your chest with the power of the word, I will pierce it with prophecies clear ringing sword so the dark of days vanished hereafter may own that your heart was the purest the earth has yet known that's an amazing thing i have never had a dream like that i never dared to want one uh, it's uh, basically it's a, a mage. That's a singular of magi, like the wise yeah, men. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some some gray bearded wise man has come to him, basically to anoint him as the purest hearted person that never that ever was on this planet, and one whose whose greatness someday will be unquestioned. Isn't that a nice antidote 
to the <laughs> <laughs> to the problems we've been having both with bees and uh, 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 um, sleeplessness. Either, yeah. either that or a bit of hubris, thinking he's Jesus Christ himself. That's what I yeah. thought was Christ is he Christ. Well, what I like about it is it's real realistic enough from the dream point of view, because if, you, if you've noticed, the unconscious never underestimates. It doesn't understate, right? <laughs> if... Uh, if a boy go, boy is going out for his first date, uh, he has dreams of terrible things happening, not just mild errors made. Okay, well, let's see what else we have. I like to study the composite psychological life going from poem to poem in a poet's a collected work. Oh, here's a nice one which I think I'm going to read in English because the, the Russian, because it's a little on the long side and I don't want to have, you don't, shouldn't have to put up with very long Russian poems. It isn't extremely long, but anything that goes over a page, I, I think might try the patience of somebody who's not, under, not in direct touch with the language. So I'm going to do this one. Here, he may be giving, uh, uh, this this may be something he's doing, uh, experiencing in a dream also. Nothingness, it's called. No, I don't know you. As I wandered by your border, I heard my breast give birth to morbid clamorings. A source of torment, of abandon, of disorder was the first principle to me that burden brings. Then, through my childish tears, with smiling too deceptive, hope found a way, a while, a light on brow to shed. Yes, error after error, I remained receptive to any hint of good, grave ill I view instead. In alternating loss and worry, days go by me. Is it not all the same? One day or many days. I want to lose the thought of you in tasks that tie me down. But you return with your unfathomed ways. Who are you? Why are you? No thought or mood replying will tell me who'd presume the fateful deep to scan. You are my very self. You're everything denying all that was granted me to know, all that I can. What have I learned? We may admit in this creation, wherever we will turns a question, answer, none. But as I breathe and live, I know that the negation of knowing is regret. No fear I have to shun. And yet, if I could tame my crazed and terrifying disorder, if I had my childhood strength once more, your border I would face. You'd hear the dreadful crying to which I once gave voice, abandoning your shore. 
Well, the psychiatrist doesn't have to do too much after that. All the data, all the data have been provided. So in my reply, I do try to spell it out. I tell you, I have left. I'm speaking in his voice now, just a slightly clearer voice, maybe. I tell you, I have left. Will never be returning. And yet, you are myself. So I can never leave. I'm battered, crying out in baffled rage and yearning. You, fathomless, a deity who can bereave by absence, yet abiding, silent, are a question, unending question, with my own identity plunged into nothing by the heavy, dead suggestion of the impenetrable deep that buried me. I lift my gaze to heaven, ever seek an answer, confront again myself, blunt ice, the blank of sky. My childhood faith is dead. I am no necromancer that might revive it now. Alone a living I, such as a loving mother turns upon her child, would cure the weary, wasting grief that makes me wild. Did I clear it up? It's his mother. <laughs> ah, I'm going to read you. My last Fiat poem, and it's a happy one. He did write a few of those. And interestingly, it doesn't have anything to do with people. It's nature. So let's have the poem. It's a short one. Yes, noche, zimnie blesk i sila. Yes, nie. Порочная краса, когда под снегом опочила вся цепь и кровли и леса, сбежали тени ночи летней, тревожный ропот их исчез, но тем всевластней, тем заметней. Огни безоблачных небес, как будто волею все зрящей на этот миг ты посвящен глядеть в лицо природы спящей и понимать всемирный сон. Not, no wrestling with the angel in that one. It's all nice and calm and meditative. The winter night has power, sparkle, a loveliness inviolate. Now that the snow has ceased to darkle, roof, plain, and forest lie in state. The troubled stir you feel no longer of summer shadowed night gone by. 
yet clearer now, profounder, stronger, the fires in the unclouded sky. While by the will of one all-sweeping, I become holy, it may seem, you find the face of nature sleeping and dream the universal dream. That's the one that usually teach in Russian class. The other ones they don't uh, spend a whole lot of time with and or they may not be in the syllabus at all. This is the one by, uh, which was my first introduction to Fiat. This is rather nice. Isn't it? I did write a reply. Gleam of a loving union fashioned to fire the soul, to try to blend into a long, bright glance, impassioned. Oh, you notice the eye, right? Uh, by the will of one all-sweeping eye, everything becomes holy. I guess that's the eye of God. He couldn't depend on his mother to look at him. So he, it does have that human dimension, doesn't it? Into... Uh, oh, let's try that again. Gleam of a loving union fashioned to fire the soul to try to blend into a long, bright glance impassioned. The trance untrammeled cannot end. It is the light of tired Plotinus leading the lone to thee alone. The eyes aligned that would entwine us make finally an end of moan. It is a yearning universal, bright burning from below, above, making our world a first rehearsal of one supreme longeval love. The one will merge into the one and surge of trouble world be done. I, I'm not eager to die, but I put my my mind into the mind into the mind of whom I'm writing about. You know, yeah. many of my replies are just dramatic monologues where I try to be the guy I just read. By the way, uh, tired Plotinus. I said uh, I'm calling him tired. We don't know if he was tired, but he was an extremely mystical interpreter of Plato, probably oh. the most mystical Platonist that ever was. So it is the light of tired Plotinus leading the lone to the alone. Uh, Ernest Dowson, the uh, uh, English poet of the 1890s, wrote a poem about Plotinus, and he says, uh, Lonely unto the lone I go, divine to the divinity. In other words, I never really was separate from God, and when I die, that will become as clear as it should have been all along. That's what mystical people like to think. You know what I think I'll do? I, I had the idea of uh, switching to a fourth poet for my last poem. Okay. We've got a good sample of Fiat. Uh, this is a po poet not awfully well known. He's well known to me because I, he, he uh, uh, was uh, translated with the original Russian text in a gift book that my father gave me, an anthology of Russian verse, uh, a slim book, but uh, high, deeply valued. Uh, and um, uh, I, I had forgotten for years, I had to look it up on the internet who wrote this poem. Uh, I just remember that I fell in love with it. Uh, the poem is by Alexei Tolstoy, that oh. is a distant cousin of Leo Tolstoy. Okay. <laughs> Alexei is uh, uh, 
uh, the Russian version of Alexis, which mm -hmm. traditionally has been the name of a man. Yeah. Yes. It's a love song. Mm -hmm. And I love the rhythm. La, 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 la. That's interesting. That's so interesting because you don't know whether you should call it an anapest. It begins la, la, la. That's an anapest. But it ends with la, 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 which is a dactyl. I, I think the, the verse theorists have a way of solving this problem, but it has both anapestic and dactylic features. And of, of course, it's in my favorite kind of a meter, which is a three-syllable, not a two-syllable meter, which I'm trying to sell to people uh, because the product hasn't been uh, sufficiently well-received in the past. Запад гаснет вдали бледно-розовым, Звезды неба усеяет чистые, Соловей свищет в роще березовой, И травою запахло душистою. Знаю, что тебе в домушку вкралась я, Знаю сердце немолчное жалобы, Не хочу я, чтобы ты притворялась и к улыбке себя принуждала бы. Твое сердце болит безотрадное, в нем не светит звезда ни единая. Плачь свободно, моя ненаглядная, пока песня звучит соловьиная. Соловьиная песня! Унылая, что как жалоба катится слезный. Плачь, душа моя, плачь, моя милая. Тебя небо лишь слушает звездные. Well, that was a successful reading because it brought tears to my eyes. Now we'll have what it means. In the west, pallid sun rays were dying, heaven pure with a starlight bestrewn, summer grass aromatic and sighing. From a grove came a nightingale tune. Oh, foreboding invading the mind, the disquieting plaint of the heart. Don't pretend, tell your thought unconfined, and don't smile if constrained to by art. Your uncomforted hearts brooding under, burdens dark and bereft of a star. Then weep freely, my beauty, my wonder, while the nightingale croons from afar. The uncomforted nightingale sigh is a weeping lament streaming on. Cry, my soul, cry, my lovely one, cry. Starry heaven will hearken till dawn. Well, you know, I do have nine minutes left. Do you want to hear a reply? Sure. All right. I did dare to write one. Okay. 40 years I've recited each word that the poet declaimed to the maiden. Comes the comfort of bard and of bird with a heart-heavy memory laden. I have learned that a crying will cleanse, a lamenting will aid a forgetting. Not unmanly to say it, my friends, when the waning pale sunlight is setting, should a melody enter the brain from the harmony art of Tolstoy, 
or of Bach or of Mozart, a pain you distill in a limbeck of joy. Tonal yoga is not broken by death, nor deep grief, mere disease of the breath. Hmm. A little surprise at the end there, wasn't it? I don't think that grief has ever been, at least I never heard it described as a disease of breathing. But when you think of it, that's what it is. You don't breathe properly. You, you do various kinds of stifled, half-stifled gasps and, and attempts to catch your breath. But deep breathing will restore, so to speak, the yoga of the body and soul. This is one of the sadder poems one can learn. But uh, I was 19 when I memorized it. So you see it stayed for 70 years and I didn't have to look at it. And that's something. Uh, and the re one reason I think it stayed is because it's very emotional and teenagers are. I hadn't fallen in love, but of course, uh, like many, uh, I don't know about many, I know that I myself was in love with the idea of falling in love and certainly hoped it would happen sometime. And it has happened. And I and it did enrich my life in very much the ways in which I had hoped it, that, that would occur. Uh, so, uh, but in any case, um, you know, it's a great time uh, to be studying language when you're a teenager. Because you're very receptive, not only to emotional things, but the, to the learning of the language, which stays with you, and to, uh, at, well, everything. The brain is at its strongest, isn't it? And teen years and going up to, I think, what is it, about 26? Uh, that's, that's about it. That's when I got my job. Mm -hmm.